I'm David Boreanis with the Cast of SEAL Team, and we have an important message for returning vets. We want you to know if you're struggling to cope, there's help. That's just a phone call away. The Veterans Crisis Line is staffed with experienced professionals who know your struggles. We know there's no greater sacrifice than service to our country. Your service is important. Your life is important. For vets and their families, the Veterans Crisis Line is here to help. 24 hours a day. Please call. Hello and welcome again to Oscar Mike Radio. I'm your host. My name is Travis. I'm a Marine Corps veteran. Oscar Mike Radio is part of the Hubazoo Network. You can find out more on hubazoo.com. I want to thank my sponsors, Joyce Asak of Asak Real Estate, Army National Guard veteran Mark Holmes of Reapers Detailing and Power Washing, and my supporters, all veteran-owned businesses, Quezon Shaving Company, Black Cat Designs, and savage american would work and if you've been watching this last week you've seen people before my next guest and now after this guest this is all part of gina alderman's rugged warrior healing coalition first annual retreat in crystal river florida i've learned so much and so with great aplomb great fanfare i want to welcome dr kai mcgee to oscar mike radio doctor welcome i think you're like the second or third doctor i've had on oscar mike radio thank you so much thank you so much for having me travis i really appreciate it and i'm excited to be here awesome 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 we got connected through gina how else and you have a very interesting story so just from the beginning you know What's your, because you're a veteran, you served in the military, you know, you know, quite courageously and for quite a long time, kind of give us a summary or cliff notes version of your military time. So I started off in the military straight out of high school. I wanted to see the world. That was big from my small town of Will Springs, North Carolina. I joined as a dental tech. So my first um, training was in San Diego. So here, a young woman from North Carolina moving, going all the way to San Diego was an adventure, was amazing. So I went there, um, went to school and graduated first in my class. I also met uh, a very energetic and inspiring young man while there. And we decided, yeah, I decided to go to Okinawa, Japan as my first duty station. So I had my selection of any duty station. And this young man, he'll become a little more important as as I continue my story. Um, And so I went to Okinawa, Japan for a year. You're you're Navy? You're Navy? Yes, I am U.S. Navy. Okay. (laughs) Sailor. Thank you. Yes. So from that role, went to Okinawa, Japan, moved on to Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, um, joined the Marine Corps. Actually, and while I was in Okinawa, I was attached to the Marines as well. Um, and during that time, ended up picking up, um, meeting a lot of great, amazing um, sailors and leaders during that time. Moved on to Navy Hospital, Pensacola, Florida, 
um, and that's where I got picked up for officer medical service corps in service procurement. <laughs> okay, so yeah. before we get to to that part of your career, how important is flossing? to Marines overall health. And there's a couple of reasons I'm asking, but I, I'm just curious, doctor. I mean, what's your view on flossing? It is foundational. Um, one of the biggest things, especially uh, I spent five years as a dental tech prior to being picked up for the commissioning program. But during that time, I had an opportunity to see, do provide so many cleaning services as well as provide a lot of training to different service members, Marine and sailors, around the importance of dental hygiene. And flossing is pivotal, like the areas within the, between the teeth, the gum line, so many challenges arise when we neglect that area. So flossing, and even today, I, me and my husband, we both um, are adamant flossers. And I floss this even, Yes, absolutely. Now, now, absolutely. Now, now, now here's here's another question. I just, I, I just please. Should you floss before you brush or after? Now, now I, I've had a couple of dentists, mine included, very emotionally like invested in this topic. <laughs> I floss before. It's reason being because once you floss the debris and take all those um, whatever's in between the teeth out your brushing allows it to um, brush away and then you follow up with a good swish and I, afterwards. I, I knew there was a reason we were going to get along doctor. I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. So this is all because, you know, I, I was in the Marine Corps and, and yes. you know, because of my dental background, I learned real quick that, you know, what cavities, you know, are not, you know, enjoyable processes, all that good stuff. So I floss pretty regularly, but I had fellow Marines who um, were somewhat lax in their dental hygiene. And I'm just mm. saying that it's, it's pretty bad when the, the dental uh, officer calls my battery platoon officer and says, you know, Schmuckatelli has a chit and his sergeant's going to wash <laughs> well here's the thing people don't recognize like 25 percent of like injuries especially early in earlier wars that took combats um individuals out of commission were dental related yeah. think about the aspects of not being able to eat not being able to focus like those that nagging pain and then you're trying to sight in or you're trying to aim in or focus and concentrate on a role, it's hard to be fully present and 100% there in that job. So dental readiness is huge. No kidding. I didn't know. See, this is the thing I like about talking with people like yourself, doctor, is I'm just reminded of how much I don't know and I get to learn something new every time. This is fantastic. So you go through dental technician work with sailors and Marines and, and, you know, I don't want to underscore that because some of some people are like, well, how hard is it being a dental tech? I'm like, have you ever tried getting Marines to do something they don't want to do? It can be very difficult sometimes. Yeah. And here's one piece I kind of went over. So after I finished dental tech school and before I went to join the Marines, there's actually a um, combat medical training. So the thing people don't necessarily 
um, recognized were acknowledged that during times of war, during times of crisis, dental techs are backup corpsmen. So the same combat medical training that your combat medic receives that supports with the Marines, there's all that training is also provided to dental techs. And actually even to, into, yes. Does that mean you can give shots? Yes. Yes. Shots, <laughs> IVs, yes. Administer medications, provide life-saving support. I, you're not, you're not bringing any like, you know, syringes or anything next week, are you? No. Is there a readiness? <laughs> I didn't hear about a readiness rodeo, but I didn't. Okay. Or, we're just, <laughs> I might, I might cause <laughs> some uh, memory flashes to come. Oh my God. Oh, whew, I just want to establish <laughs> that right away, doc, because. Oh, okay. All right, no, all no. Right. I feel like next week's adventure will be much more um, fun and um, people. Yeah. Will, will right, like that. So you go through all this now, now take me through because what, what's the thing that says, you know what? I love this life and you have to love it in order to, well, maybe love's not the right word, but you know what I'm saying? You have to really embrace the military life as an enlisted person to even think that you have what it takes to be an officer. What was going mm. through your mind around that time to make the decision that, you know what? I'm going to really, you know, go in for the pound on my military career. Oh boy. The, the leaders, the leaders, really? absolutely extraordinarily. Um, so in order to make the rank before I put on, um, was eligible to become a commissioned officer, yeah. it had to be me five. And here I was in the military about three years and I and usually it takes twice that long to make an E five in in if you're taking the exams, and there was I had just um, been passed over to pro be meritorious promoted, and so I had it in my mind, you know, okay, if it's not going to be provided, I'm going to take, you know, to get earn it, I'm going to take it, and there was this amazing E six. Um, Kinkaila Kwalatuka, Henry, and he was standing up these weekend and evening exam um, courses, um, training, exam prep courses. So on top of his day-to-day -day work, on top of his going to college, on top of all the other things that were going on in his life, he would spend probably 10 hours a week prepping sales that were interested in getting ready for the exam, the upcoming exam. And those that were invested in this program, they did well. And that type of care, that type of wanting to see people successful was, was incredible to me. And what I had also observed from many of the leaders that I had worked with, E6s mostly, um, was that they were always looking to contribute at a higher level. And so becoming, the thing that I loved about the military was that leadership, was that care for people that wanted to see someone else be successful and the sacrifices that they were willing to make to, to ensure that success. 
And so when the opportunity came to, when I made E5, um, there was another Charmin Rickards, um, Charmin Jacobs today. She and I are still really very good friends. So me and King Caleb, but she was like, you know what? Oh, you just made it. You're working, you got, and you just graduated. Come with me, you know, work with me and a couple of other sailors. We're putting in packages for medical service corps. And she reviewed my package. She, I was just brand new to this command. So I had just left my Marine Corps um, Camp Lejeune was just arriving at Naval Hospital Pensacola. I was there for less than three months. And she was a training petty officer. Again, extended herself, um, looked out for all those that were trying to put in their packages. And out of the four individuals that were kind of in our group, every last one of us made it. Every last one of us. And so, um, again, that type of leadership, that type of caring, that's the type of organization I've observed. Um, and it's come in so many different ways. Everything from individuals encouraging me to go start off my college training, individuals encouraging me to save and, you know, what's this Roth IRA program? So very early on, I ran into people that were trying to improve their lives and interested in, in, in ensuring others had the information and also had the support if they were so inclined to follow that path. So yes, when I became a military officer, I wanted to contribute at a higher level. I wanted to help others to achieve their goals. I wanted to be that example. I want to be the person that is individuals were looking around, you know, what's possible for me within this organization. They would see me and they would say, okay, that is an option. That is a path. Let me ask her how she did it. And would provide me the opportunity to support and help. That, that's amazing. It's a really positive way that the military can foster success with good leadership. Yes. And it's, it's a story that needs to be told more often. When did the decision then become to leave the Navy behind and join the Marine Corps? The thing is with med with Navy, we if you're medicine, if you're medical, that is the Navy is the Marine Corps medical. Right, so, right. Let me tell you how I, I found this out. So as I was finishing um my combat medic training and I had gone to Okinawa, I got orders to Jacksonville. And I was so excited. Oh my God, I'd never been to Florida. And I just couldn't wait for that. And it wasn't until later that I realized that it was Jacksonville, North Carolina, a Camp Lejeune. <laughs> Imagine. Now I'm from North Carolina, so it wasn't as disappointing as um or traumatic. <laughs> but I was definitely spent probably a week under the assumption that I was going to Florida. And it wasn't until like those orders in paper arrived and I saw that in North Carolina and I was going to Camp Lejeune um, that I realized, oh, okay. Yeah, and, and part of it was, you know, what, why not a Naval Hospital in Jacksonville? <laughs> well, <laughs> medical is also, and dental are also needed in the Marine Corps. So you have dual opportunities to be part of both um, fine establishments. 
So out of my 20 years in the Navy, um, seven of them were with the Marines. So one in Okinawa, three in Camp Lejeune. And when I was selected from for as an officer um, out of Naval Hospital Pensacola, the very first place I wanted to go, like if you're going to be like the best officer you can be, you have to go back with the Marines. You have to go with the Marines. So I went with went to Second Medical Battalion as my very first officer duty station to get orientation to make see how it was done right <laughs> um, in, in a rugged environment. I, I enjoy the challenge. I enjoy the standards and the rigor that the Marine Corps requires. So while I didn't join the Marine Corps, I they adopted me. <laughs> and I chose it every opportunity I got. So was it about this time that you met Gina? Yeah, so ooh, Gina and I met while I was at Fleet Forces Command. And that was probably ooh, the middle of my career. Okay. Um, yes, so about yeah, 10 years in. So I had a couple of other duty stations. And when Gina and I met, my first impression of her was just hardcore. She was this commander. She had had all she, man, was like larger than life. She knew her stuff. And so here's the one thing about um, there's medical service corps and then there's plans, operations, medical intelligence officers, POMIs. And these individuals, they are, they're the planners for all things medical. They know where every hospital is located, military and civilian, like in, in any country, all over the world. Their role is to, number one, ensure patients are, are stabilized or um, recovered, and then also make sure that they get to a perfect place for the follow-on care that's required. And they and in, and that's whether they're stationed in Iraq, whether they're sitting on a ship in the middle of the Mediterranean, whether they're in a foreign country, um, it, anywhere, they have to know what are the options available, and then they advise. And so, when you become a fleet a fleet planner, and she was the lead fleet planner, you have to know where all of the Navy ships are, all of the medical teams are all of the capabilities on those medical teams, not just Navy medical, but Marine Corps, but um, Army, Air Force, every single aspect of medical care options are what you have to master. And Gina just embodied that. You know, so you have to be really on top of your game. You have to be intensely committed to ensuring individuals have the information that they need and that leaders are aware of their options. So, and anyone who's your like assistant planners or like we, there were a couple of us, um, junior, not junior officers, but um, assistant medical planners that uh, supported different regions. You had to know in what was required. You had to know what was going on. You had to attend briefs. And during that time, we dealt with the H1N1 
flu. Um, we dealt with um, the Haiti earthquake oh, yeah. and we responded to the um, Japan Fukushima. Really? Um, yes. What yes. Was so the, those, what was that like? What was that like? Oh man. Round the clock. Um, searching for information, getting information, sharing information, providing directives, every single one of those, there's, there's a plan, but then there's, once the reality hits, you know, no plan ever survives first contact. So <laughs> the next thing you go into is, okay, what's going on on the ground? What's needed? Um, what aspects of the plan held up? What aspects of the plan did not? And how do we move forward with solutions? So quick thinking, um, constant connectedness with your partners, because while you're at the fleet, you're reaching out to planners on the ground, um, medical teams in the local area, and even civilian. Um, we dealt with health and human services, especially with those, the magnitude of those type of events. You did a lot of cross-agency collaboration and communication. And the thing is, you had to have those relationships, many of those relationships before those issues hit, before those challenges occur, arose. So and so being diligent was huge. Sure, sure. So one of the things that comes to mind when you're talking about this and the sheer scope of, of what is needed to, you know, get care to, um, you know, our troops and or, you know, people in a humanitarian sense is you have to be, you know, of course, technically proficient at your job. You have to have situational awareness about the situation, but you really have to be good at relationships. How absolutely? How important is the relationship aspect to your success in your career? Oh, everything I do while in the military, even today, is about relationships. Um, and a lot of the work is not just the relationship, it's the communications required. Like, because communications are the lifeblood of relationships. What information is shared, whatever, what heads up people are given. Um, the individuals you call when the, you're not having a great day. <laughs> When maybe you're having the worst day imaginable, these are the individuals you can reach out to. You know that they're going to be responsible. You know that they're reliable. You know that they're going to keep their word. And you know that they're going to be thinking partners with you to help with solutioning. And then whatever solutions you come up with, they're going to help support that with whatever resources they have available to them. And so the relationship, it is, it's very it's a deep one. Um, it's wanting to ensure that others are successful and not just for the sake of that relationship, but for the relationship of, of the military with society. Yeah, like that's yeah. our role. That's our commitment is to be able to support our allies, to be able to support um, Americans in time of, of crises. So those relationships that we have, we all have a single vision, and that is to ensure that we're living up to those commitments, those standards, so, so that we are that reliable um, and it can be depended upon. So talking about relationships, you mentioned uh, a, 
an energetic young man that came into your life earlier in your career how did how did that relationship blossom during your your time oh boy so um an energetic young man he named gerald <laughs> um and one of the things so, so as i'm going through my military career there's okinawa and then there's camp lejeune and then there's pensacola and while in pensacola um that's where we had been together during all that time and we ended up um gerald proposed and so right yes it was a killer year um that year i it was so many things happened in succession there was proposal there was um picked up for e5 and then also selected for ensign in the medical service corps Uh, it was it was incredible so gerald has as i tell everyone today um now, now my husband of over 20 years, um, that he was the best piece of gear the Navy ever issued me. He has been reliable. He has been dependable. He has been on the journey. And like, he's the Swiss army knife of relationship partners. He's, um... <laughs> Do you know what a master sergeant told me one time about marriage in the Marine Corps? Yes. You, I'm sure you've heard this, that, you know, he's like, look there, Lance Corporal. I want you to know that a wife is not part of your sea bag issue. I'm not supposed to say that, but I'm telling you that anyway. <laughs> I wish I had listened to him, but that's how the Marine Corps viewed marriage. I mean, so the Navy issued you. <laughs> that's the way I feel. Like I met him in A school. Oh, so wow. he was right there. He he was there when it came time to study. Um, I made first in my class um, when I was in Okinawa, Japan. He was right there supporting um, the military career, like we were, when I was in, when we both went to combat medical, I remember, you know, just on an extremely long hike. Cause we do, I think we did like 15 mile hikes in California. Um, gosh, I can't remember the, the Camp Pendleton, at Camp Pendleton. So if you're familiar with that base, oh, yes. there's these <laughs> huge hills and valleys. It's yes. a one, one of these 15 mile hikes. I was just, I was done. I just could not take the next step. And he just happened to be walking by with his platoon and with his group and like, hoorah. And it was probably the sweetest thing anyone could have said in that moment. <laughs> and so only a life partner, only someone that gets what you're going through, gets what you're doing, gets your journey, can, um, can really appreciate that. That's awesome. Yes. And so, yeah, a lot of my leadership today um, that is is based on the things I've observed him do, especially the collaboration and communication pieces, because earlier in my career, I was definitely more quiet, more kind of to myself and very independent. Like if there was something to be done, you know, I could do it. I could do it. And in order to be truly effective, you have to have a team. You have to have others. You have to really rally individuals around uh, an effort around a vision around a mission and so i was able to observe him do that easily and part of it was just because of his presence 
his being open, his ability to listen and just and be that person of his word. Still today, he's like the best person I know. That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, um, sometimes marriages don't uh, have that same kind of experience in the military. So it's really True. interesting that you two came together and helped <laughs> each other be better. Absolutely. I think you know, from girl from Mississippi, a girl from North Carolina and a young man from Mississippi met in California. It's like, sounds like the beginning of a really good joke, right? Well, or a great <laughs> novel or a great novel. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. True. yeah. <laughs> you go through all this, you meet Gina and, and it's my yes. understanding that you, you all kept in contact over this time. Yes. Yes. So she, I met Gina in her final duty station. So like fleet forces would, um, she retired from there. And, but I will tell you the three years we were together between the different missions we responded to and so, some other things that were going on. So I had failed to select for Lieutenant Commander. And I will tell you that was a big part of, especially at that time, I a large part of who I was was military, was Lieutenant McGee, Navy, um, all the way, Medical Service Corps Plans, Operations, Medical Intelligence Officer. So that setback hit me very, very hard. It shook me to my core. During that time, um, Gina was encouraging. She was prayerful. She was inspiring. And she was motivated me to keep moving forward. And I mean, eventually the next cycle I was selected. Um, but even at that point, there was a major shift in in me during that journey. So it was a year time frame where you're kind of in flux of like not sure what your future is going to hold. Um, and she was, was incredible. Um, number one, just in the fact that, you know, some leaders would have given up on you. Some leaders would have taken that determination and decided, you know, wow, you know, not worth my time. Or, you know, there's other individuals I could be investing in developing. You know, this individual apparently wasn't able to make the cut and, you know, they could they would have threw me away. Especially again, you know, this is a very high performance group. So not, um, there were many options available to her, but she chose to support, to provide great guidance, wisdom, um, inspiring perspective, lots of great perspective. And so, and then just the example and the modeling of the behavior, like there were things I learned under her watch. Again, not just the relationships, but also um, just how to carry yourself, oneself, how to be more outspoken. Even in that point, I was still struggling to find my voice. And so when once picked up, once kind of over that piece, um, that was, it was like it moved from that to preparing and planning for the retirement. So I really had an opportunity to kind of, you know, I think maybe I was one of her, her last big projects <laughs> of her military career. And so I had a chance to go on and 
do some great things with U.S. Northern Command. I was the lead medical responder to Hurricane Sandy. So under her tutelage and seeing a lot of how she handled um, responses, military responses, I was able to be well prepared for that occurrence with that emergency, that crisis when it arose. How how interesting that now you're being brought in to support her retreat and kind of, you know, it, it all goes in a cycle, right? You know, you yes, needed yes. her at that time to, you know, and she supported your career moving forward. And now she's trying to do this retreat and she's reached yes. out to you to to move that forward. What what was it like when Gina first mentioned the retreat to you and what she was trying to do with it, uh, doctor? Oh man. When I first heard of it, I thought, this is this is Gina. This is that caring, that heart full of passion to help others. This is rugged because that's, again, there's going to always be that component of her that's just, you know, yes, I want to support and, and, and care, but I also want to challenge. You can't have one without the other. You want to yeah provide that space and for healing but then you also want to show people that they're stronger than they think right right and so when she made out the concept it was exciting i was i had not heard anything like it and being a military member i've gone to combat twice so i spent six months in iraq with the marines and i spent a year in Afghanistan, um, individual augmentee, so supporting army in, in a joint space. As, um, and so coming back from those experiences and just in general, some of the military, but in particular those experiences, you are forever changed. You see things that most people don't see. You experience things that others can't even imagine. Um, and when you get back home, you're trying to make meaning of that. And so when she explodes, you, you're, you're not broken, but you're forever changed. Sure. So you, it's nice to know that there's spaces out there that can help, that can provide that space where, number one, you, it is acknowledged that something's different, that something has has changed, that something occurred. And that while impacted, you can, you're still at your core very much capable, very much strong, very much yourself. Um, in some components that that the core at its core at your core. Okay. So everybody's bringing something different to the retreat. I think that's the thing. That's the aspect that I really am. I think it's different. It, it's it's and it's yes. not just you know we're gonna sit 
and, and on a chair for eight hours. <laughs> a, a lot of this is doing things and, you know, forcing yourself in a way to get uncomfortable and, and face these new challenges. Kind of tell us, what are you looking to bring to the retreat? So during the retreat, there's going to be a lot of exercises throughout the first two days and the beginning of the final day where members are going to provide be provided many different experiences that will will help them to see their great how strong they are yeah. as well as to be able to address in any things that they would like to see changed in their selves in their situations in their communities any any aspect and so I'm there to help with the closing um and during that closing piece, it's going to be focused around how do you take what you've learned during this time and you keep it going? So again, how do we keep the relationships that we formed during those three days fresh, um, living, relative and relevant to what you'll be facing once you return to your everyday lives? And also I'll be doing a little bit of support with supporting of Gina in the opening ceremony, because again, um, like any good planner, you want to start, begin with the end in mind. So ensuring that as we begin, we roll out that people have a good understanding of what's to be expected, what they will experience over the next couple of days, what the intent is from the um, event sponsor, coordinator, Gina, and and make sure we hit that mark. You know, it's a very interesting aspect of what you're doing because people come to retreats or networking events or, you know, collaboration, you know, symposiums, they're all charged up. And, you know, two weeks later, it's like they're right back to where they were before they came there. And, and you know, you meet all these people and then they act like, you didn't exist and it can Crickets. be yeah it can be really frustrating and so i think to have emphasis on that and focus on that will will keep this alive and you know i i hope for everyone involved allows us to grow absolutely and the thing is i'm thinking and i'm sure because there have been a few opportunities to read books from some of the um individuals that will be arriving and like and Gina's been really good around, you know, sh sharing, you know, the who will be in attendance. So, like, we have an opportunity to, during this time, to really get to know each other, like, in a personal level. And the thing is, well, I'm already a fan. Like, Gina introduced me to you, Travis, and it was incredible. It was like a fan at first sight <laughs> within minutes. I was like, oh, this is incredible. So like just reading about your show, reading about what you've done has been and inspiring. And that's one of the things that Gina provides is she just has a talent for bringing together the great people. Absolutely. And I think once we all get together, that's going to be a bond and relationship, uh, a, a form, a cohort that will be longstanding. We'll look back on this year's event and say this was the beginning. Um, and we couldn't have imagined, you know, five years from now, 
you know, where, how huge it's going to be. That's the thing that really kind of like, I'm almost like, I'm not scared. I'm not anxious, but it's like, what, if this is what's going on now, what will happen in three to five years from now? It's, yes. it's going to be, you know, revolutionary because, you know, a lot of female veterans are trying to come together as a community and move forward. And I understand just because of numbers, they're a small part of the armed services. But, you know, I, I've met a, a lot of amazing women who've served our country and are trying to do the next thing in civilian life. And this might be something that, you know, female veterans of all demographics can benefit from. Yeah, I think there, there's this sisterhood. It's like, I guess, when, especially for women, especially, well, I will just speak for myself. So as I transitioned out of the military, and again, this identity of Lieutenant Commander McGee, I moved into all some of the other roles. And especially for me, um, there were roles that I hadn't been as present in. Role of daughter, um, spending time with my parents, spending time, role of aunt, role of sister, um, a lot of family ties and trying to reestablish, reinvigorate those um, in, in, in the absence of my military family. Um, there is something that occurs. I mean, while you're in the military, it's your own world. And once you're, you transition to a civilian world, it's, there's still some, Actors, but you're not completely immersed, and so you look at it from a different perspective. And it's such a fast-paced environment; it's very different from a civilian role. And unless you're in the, the 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 fight, they say, um, it's hard to stay that to maintain those connections. Sure. So you go into other roles, you know, wife, spouse. Um, I chose entrepreneur, and you just can sometimes get lost in trying to recapture what or reestablish, reconnect. Um, it's the esprit what, de corps. You miss that yes. esprit de corps. You miss that, yes. that, that that fraternity, that sorority, that 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 family that 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 yes. is not out here. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. It, it definitely not immediately, especially right. if you to take credit for, to take responsibility for that was. I wasn't interested in what was going on external to the military. <laughs> and so, yeah, when you're kind of having to face the reality of, okay, here's a new environment. I now have to navigate without your military jargon, without your military, um, gosh, medals and ribbons and all of your resume, basically you wore on your uniform. People could know exactly who you are based on just those, and just became Kai McGee, the citizen and and team member. And so it was definitely it was a transition, and then again in all those other roles, you know, trying to be reestablished and kind of build somewhat of a community that was organic to the military. Well, one thing as we wind this down that I I did want to touch on, a lot of us enlisted think that officers get out and have zero problems they just take off the uniform put on the suit and everything's fine and i've discovered that a lot of officers go through 
not not the same challenges, but their own pathway to transition and adjustment. Like it's not easy for them either. And mm-hmm. to your point, it takes it takes some time and readjustment to 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 make that uh, transition final. Oh, absolutely. Um, during one of the things that did help for for me in particular, my my circumstance in particular was I was in school working on my doctorate degree during that time and i was also and during that training within school i came across coaching and within the coaching i found opportunities to number one make meaning of some of the things that had had encountered while in the military and then also a different way to orientate to individuals so in the military there's was disbelief. It was my belief system. I won't say it was endemic in the military, but that you had to have the answers. You had to be directive. You had to be decisive. You had to tell people, you know, here's the direction we're headed and here's how we're going to get there. And within my coaching training, I realized that, you know, everyone has so much experiences and so much to contribute to situations and perspectives that can make solutions even better. Um, and so, but being able to get that, get to that part, you know, especially when sometimes there's the expectation that, you know, just tell us what to do. Um, and then also the expectation that, hey, you should have all the answers. You're the, you're the commander. Well, you know, asking questions, um, the coaching components. So that helped me not only is the end of my military career to really be more inclusive, to be more diverse in my solutioning and getting many perspectives um before again making a decision but when i moved to the civilian world where it was a bit more about influence it was a bit more about um communication collaborating and partnering versus this hierarchical relationship everyone even if they were part of your team that are reporting to you you had to make sure that they understood that they were connecting with the work that they understood the bigger um, picture of the the contributions they were making. It's so important that people know what they're what they're contributing and in, in, in acknowledging those contributions. Well, again, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Dr. McGee is just one of the many women at Gina Alderman's Rugged Warrior Healing Coalition Retreat at Crystal River, Florida. Uh, it's going to be an amazing time, and and yeah. I, I wouldn't say hopefully, Doctor. I know this is going to be the start of something fantastic, and just so uh, humbled and honored that you would give me some of your time to talk about your story and what you're going to bring to the retreat. Thank you so much, Travis. I truly appreciate our time together today. Thank you. Absolutely, absolutely. So this is going to be awesome. You're going to want to check it out. I want to say thank you again to Gina for putting this together. And as we say in Oscar Mike Radio. We are Mission in Flight. Thank you. Join us on National Wreaths Across America Day, December 16th, 2023. Each December on National Wreaths Across America Day, our mission to remember, honor, and teach is carried out by coordinating wreath-laying ceremonies at Arlington National Cemetery, as well as more than 3,700 additional locations in all 50 states, at sea and abroad. Join us by sponsoring a veteran's wreath at a cemetery near you, volunteering, or donating to a local sponsor group. 
for listening and watching Oscar Mike Radio, where our active duty service members and veterans are in action and the mission is in flight. If you are a veteran or know a veteran who needs help, please dial 998 and press 1 for the Veterans Crisis Line.